<laughs> All right, I'm going. Oh, man. At the risk of bearing the lead, let's just do this now, shall we? Phil Spector, the architect of this lovely and famous Christmas album that we're about to discuss, a Christmas gift for you, and full stop, the greatest and most innovative pop-slash-rock-music producer-slash-visionary of all time, is currently suffering from Parkinson's disease in a maximum security prison without the possibility of parole until 2025, having been convicted of a brutally murdering actress and fashion model Lena Clarkson in the second degree in his own home. Let's be clear before we bring the holiday cheer, Chaz. Phil Spector was and is an extremely troubled person, a drug addict, a misanthrope, a virulent sociopath, a chronic abuser of multiple women, and a murderer. And as sometimes is the case, he's simultaneously a preternaturally gifted songwriter, go-to producer to the world's best bands and artists, sound architect extraordinaire, and undeniable musical genius. Millions, if not billions of people, including yourself and I, have listened to and immensely enjoyed, without realizing it, the musical fruits of this terrible man's mind. And in 1963, he presented the world with perhaps his most enduring product by applying his famed wall of sound recording technique to a group of mostly black singers and musicians singing traditional Christmas songs. Today, on Louder Than Sound, we discuss Phil Spector's A Christmas Gift for You. Welcome to everyone's favorite show, Louder Than Sound. Our first and only question for the contestants is... What's louder than sound? Theoretical noise particulates from the 15th dimension? What's louder than sound? Uh, nothing, Alex, because of course this is a theoretical question. What's louder than sound? What is two brothers, who are mostly similar, but sometimes dissimilar taste in music, asking each other to listen to and absorb some of their favorite music albums based on idiosyncratic themes that they likewise force each other to consider? That's loud! Welcome once again to Louder Than Sound. I'm Charlie. We're with my brother Jake. Hello. Hey there. Hi. And we're bringing you. This is coming at you just a week before Yuletide. Mm-hmm. It's that warm Christmas season mm-hmm. for you, not for mm-hmm. us. Mm-hmm. We're recording it a few weeks ahead of time, but we're pretending it's Christmas. Yes, it's Christmas in my heart, Jake. It's Christmas in my <laughs> in Bob Dylan's heart. Christmas in Bob Dylan's heart, as well as mine. And uh, we're kicking off a new theme, and in honor of the fact that this episode drops on December 18th, and next week's is going to be right smack dab on Christmas Day. Wow. We had no, we felt like we had no choice but to present you with the fruits of Christmas. His net. Now, I, I feel like i got to bring up here the fact that I'm a total Scrooge for Christmas music, Jake. You sure are. I know. I am. I am. I am. And it's, I think it's, you know, it's kind of the fruit of, uh, of working retail over a few Christmases. And uh, just hearing the same, like, 30 songs on repeat on every single station that you could possibly tune into. And it just, uh, it just, it just gots to, it gets to me. It's just not enough variety, maybe. I don't know. But with that, there, there are some good, there's some good Christmas music in there. And uh, we're going to try to bring that to you. And, and Jake, you are going to bring it to us first. Yeah, that's right. By presenting us with a Christmas gift for, for us. Yeah, for you. Yeah. For, for me. It's a Christmas gift for and you. For all, for all of us. For all of us. Everybody. Man. It's kind of the royal, it's kind of the royal you. 
before before we begin with Phil Spector's frankly spectacular music career, let's just say it one more time, and I promise. Well, I don't promise anything. Um, it won't be the last time. He is a murderer and is currently in jail. He's expected yep. to die before he reaches parole in 2025. Um, the pictures of him from the past handful of years are disturbing. He is clini- terrifying. He is clinically mentally diseased and may be suffering from Parkinson's disease. Um, he has been for quite some time since embarking on a clearly mental illness-related hiatus in 1980. Simply put, a monster. Um, and it finally caught up with him and um, to the person that he unfortunately um, killed. So, but now that that's out of the way, he wasn't always that way. Uh, Phil Spector was a preternaturally gifted songwriter, and even more than that, he was a superstar music producer before that was really a typical thing. What I mean by that is that, of course, he was a musician first, playing guitar and piano, and singing throughout his childhood and into high school. And just like many of us, including you and me. Chaz, you played the French horn and participated in choir by the time (laughs) you were in high school and beforehand. Um, uh-huh. And uh, I was a percussionist and a burgeoning guitarist who eventually signed on for choir as well. But here's where the similarities end between us and young Phil Spector. Because <laughs> did you uh-huh. did you or I write and record a number one hit song before we turned 19? No. Did you? I wrote, I wrote a song before I was 19. Me too. I wrote, that, wrote, wrote a couple. Is that the same thing? I wrote a few. Yeah. Is that the same thing? Eh, well, let's find out. Uh, I recorded it too, but it was not it was not a hit as far <laughs> not to my knowledge, one? it was not a hit of any variety. Didn't it stall out at like number eighty three on the Billboard charts? <laughs> you know, it was it was making its way up, but it was, it kind, was, of, oh. it was kind of a disappointment. Uh, Phil Spector actually did that with his band The Teddy Bears, with the Aww. song the song To Know Him Is To Love Him. Um, yeah. which was coincidentally just the songs be... about you, right, Jake? Yeah, to know him is to love him. It's actually uh, inspired by the the gravestone of his dad who committed suicide. So, oh. yeah, so Phil had a bit of a rough start. Okay, so we got a little of yeah. darkness in there right off yeah, the right bat. Yeah, right off the bat. Right away, okay. Didn't seem All to right. affect him as much as it would later on. Um, it was coincidentally just the seventh number one single ever on the newly formed wow. Billboard Hot 100 hey, singles chart. Wow. Uh, that what, was year a, we, what year are we talking about right now? That was 1958. Glad you hey, asked. Hey. Uh, the Teddy Bears disbanded the following year, but it was just the beginning for Spectre. He worked as an apprentice to Lieber and Stoller themselves, who are extremely famous songwriters um, in Tin Pan Alley. Um, mm-hmm. he, he penned several top ten hits, worked as a studio musician on top ten hits, and produced top ten hits, all at a precociously young age. What's more, he became the youngest record label co-owner ever at the tender age of 21. Man. And, and while his record label released a string of top ten hits... Spectre continued to work freelance to produce, you guessed it, top ten hits. Now, what? What's his? Is his record label Stax? Was he on Stax? Uh, no, he had, his record label was Phyllis or Phils. It was. Oh, never mind. It was. I can just take with Stax. Was the, I mean? Stax is the soul label. Yeah, it was yeah. the soul label. Stax had a bunch of top ten hits too. Stax is awesome. Yeah, yeah. They are awesome. Um, Phils or Phyllis Records. I guess I don't know how to say it. Um, it's a combination between him and his partner's name. Uh, the aforementioned label that he started... Oh, Lester Sill was the other one. So it was a combination of their names. Okay. Um, that record label, Phil's Records, was all... It's like a celebrity, it's like a celebrity couple name. But Kinda. they made it up themselves, you know? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. It's like Brangelina, but, you know... And they weren't, and they weren't a couple, I don't think. Well... I mean, they were, they were a couple of crazy guys. They but, were... were 
we're all like shipping them at home, right? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, <laughs> These two guys from the 50s, so one of whom I've never heard of before right now. Lester Sill, baby. The one, the only, Lester Sill. Uh, anyway, uh, Phil Spector uh, gained control of the record label um, all on his own by 1962. And the song that he wrote called He's a Rebel by the Crystals went to number one in 1962, followed by the Ronettes, um, a song he also wrote and produced and on his record label, Be My Baby, which we know that song, hitting yeah. number two. Be my, be my, be my, be my little baby. Be my. Being a baby doll. Yeah, you can't. Something yeah, you like can't that. get that out of your head. It, was, it sounded exactly right like that. That's uh. I think that wasn't was a, a, it wasn't a recording copyright lawyers. Just you know, just no, no, you no. Know, that was just sounded just like it. I that was, was just amazing. two guys uh, just spit, but, spitballing some stuff we just made up. No problem there. Um, you'll notice that the album uh, that we are ostensibly talking about today came out in 1963, mm -hmm. um, but we will get to that in a minute. In the meantime, I'll just list some songs, artists, and albums that Phil Spector figured into in some way, usually as a producer, in the years following A Christmas Gift for You. So this is all okay. after 1963. I'm ready. The list is frankly exhausting and really mm -hmm. quite unbelievable. All right, this is just a kind of a list here. Enjoy yourself. The Righteous Brothers, You've Lost mm -hmm. That Love and Feeling, Unchained Melody, Ike and Tina Turner's River Deep and Mountain High, John Lennon's Imagine, Instant Karma, yeah. The Plastic Ono Band, The Beatles' Let It Be, which he slathered all those sweet, sweet orchestral flourishes on top that Paul McCartney hated. We like to, we like to piss <laughs> off why, Paul McCartney. Which is how, how Let It Be Naked came about. <laughs> exactly. Sense. And we like when Paul McCartney gets mad for some reason, or at least I do. <laughs> uh, George Harrison's All Things Must Pass with the number, mm. one, the number one song, My Sweet Lord. The entire concert for Bangladesh, in which he used 44 microphones to record. <laughs> uh, Happy Xmas War is Over by um, John and Yoko yep. Cher, Leonard Cohen's Death of a Ladies Man The Ramones End of the Century in 1979 which is interesting um, and then um, if anyone the... screams Wall of Sound production it's the Ramones yeah there you go. Anyone's well, in need of like orchestral flourishes, it's the Ramones. Guess who? Guess who got really? Four guys who could barely play three chords on the guitar. Guess who got really well, I guess mad? Seventy nine, they could. Guess who really got mad at the Ramones after that? The Ramones. All of the punks. Their fans. All of the remaining punks in the world. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, not a punk, punk thing was, to like, do. Dead by that name, you know. The Clash yeah. released London, London Calling, nineteen seventy nine. I know, I know, but you can you can get mad about anything, and certainly punk. Oh sure. Punk fans sure. are mad and about I that. I will. I will. I mean, you're already doing it. Sex Pistols are already gone. Like, you know, what do you what do you want here? Yeah. Um, Phil. After, after that, the Ramones' end of the century was basically the last thing he did for a while. He became a recluse from 1981 through 2003 uh, when he was tried and eventually convicted of murdering Lena Clarkson. Um, there was a long circus of a trial. Um, it was at first televised for some reason Ooh. by judge order. The whole thing was televised, and he, he ended up with a hung jury, and everyone was like, no, you murdered that lady. Let's get you back in the courtroom. Um, so they tried him again on second-degree murder charges rather than first-degree. Uh, but the whole thing was just a terrible mess. Um, and as of a last personal note, um, Spectre was also known for wearing increasingly outlandish wigs. You may have known that about him. Um, no. That, that was Good a result him, of a 1974 car crash um, that probably killed him before an EMT brought him back to life. He flew, like, through the windshield of his car 
and onto the pavement, and they just, they, everyone was like, well, he's dead, and no one checked, except this one EMT came over and detected an extremely faint pulse, and he somehow lived through that. Wow. So, anyway, uh, all that being said, there's a lot going on here with our, he's not our friend, uh, Phil Spector. <laughs> the Christmas season's in the air here. Absolutely. Are you, are you feeling that. it? Like, the pine is just, oh, mm, mm, oh cozy. Ooh, it's so cozy. Um, I think what struck me, I think what struck me reading about him was how absolutely uh, preternatural his ear and techniques seemed to be at every stop until the mid seventies. Yeah. Let's say um, he was an absolute bona fide musical genius, and not just because he could play well or write a hit song, but that his instincts and acumen in every step of the music release process <clears throat> were astoundingly precocious and wildly successful. All he did for fifteen or sixteen years. Uh, starting at a really young age, was create not only good or great tunes and songs, but capital H hits. Yeah. It's many skills wrapped into one package, and he's one of the greatest if you're just looking at his body of work. Well, and, like, he's a superstar producer. Right. Like, how many other producers can you think of that you would describe as, like... The only one that comes to mind is Brian Eno, as, like, a producer who... Yeah. But he also has plenty of solo, you know, like a ton of solo work that he's recognized for. Yeah. There's other people I can come up with who are, you know, fairly well known. But they, there's no other superstar producer ever. Well, I mean, like Mark Ronson. You know? Mark Ronson is a recent example. Oh, okay. All right. All right. Fair enough. Uh, Modern example, yeah. There's been some others. But it, on, the, on the level of Phil Spector, no, no, yeah. I don't think any, honestly. Like, yeah. he, he was so famous. But he, he also wrote the songs. He played on them. Yeah. He produced them. He he uh, he identified talent. He would go and find the people to sing the songs. He had a very famous backing band that he used that knew, you know, what to do with them. Um, and uh, before we get to 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 the album here, um, we haven't even talked about the wall of sound recording technique. Well, let's do it. Let's well, I'm gonna well, okay. Are you, I, I'm gonna talk about it a little bit when I'm talking about the album. Okay. Um, but we we will we will finally talk about this album. Uh, it's from 1963. It's called A Christmas Gift for You. It was originally named A Christmas Gift for You from Phyllis Records. And it came out on November 22nd, 1963. Does that date sound familiar to you, Chaz? 1922nd? 1960? November 22nd, November which is actually like tomorrow as we're recording this. Right. Uh, but, recording. but in 1963, obviously. Does that sound familiar? No. It was the day that John F. Kennedy was assassinated in Dallas, Oh, Texas. I was thinking that for a second, but I had in my head that he was shot in December. Mm -hmm. I knew it was, okay. And uh, besides being part of the grand conspiracy that killed JFK, like that's the only coincidence sure. that goes on. Let's try everything on that in there for some reason. Yep. Everything on that day was obviously related. Um, mm -hmm. It was released again in 1972 on Apple Records, because Phil Spector got all up in the Beatles mess. Um uh, as they were ending, and as and as Apple uh -huh. Records, the the disaster, the wonderful disaster that was Apple Records, um, that was called a Phil Spector Christmas album. Um, he's on the cover dressed in a Santa suit, and he's got a big button that says "Back to Mono" on it because he was uh, he didn't like stereo recordings. He only did stuff in mono. So interesting. That made, that made a lot of sense. Uh, it was released again in 2018 as a Christmas gift for you from Phil Spector, which is kind of how we know it now. Yes. It was voted the 142nd greatest album of all time. Not Christmas album, but greatest wow. album of all time by Rolling Stone in 2003. The 130th greatest album of the 60s by our friends at Pitchfork. And uh -huh. the greatest Christmas of all time by several publications, including Rolling Stone again. Okay. Uh, weirdly or not, depending on how you feel about Brian Wilson of the Beach Boys, he cites it at his 
favorite album of all time. Full stop. You know, that makes sense. I had that in my, Doesn't my that seem weird? notes on this, yeah. is how much it reminded me of Pet Sounds. Yes. I, 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 did like, I double-checked. I didn't think he, that Phil Spector had been involved in Pet Sounds. He, produced, check he produced Pet Sounds. He did? Yeah. <laughs> That's not what I read. Or maybe Just, the rec- maybe I'm thinking of the Wrecking Crew played on Pet Sounds. No, it's, it's the, same, it's yeah, the Wrecking Crew. I'm sorry. I looked it up because I, I was really my wondering fault. about it. It my fault. reminded me so much of my that fault. Song. Brian Wilson was very, very, very influenced by Phil Spector. Yes, and, they, and I he came used, across... He used the same backing band, The Wrecking Crew. Okay. I'm sorry. That right. could make sense. I came across that little tidbit yeah. that, that was uh, Brian Wilson's favorite album ever. Yeah. And uh, Brian Wilson tried to play piano. He wanted in on these recording sessions for the Christmas album. So he, he tried to play piano on, like, Santa Claus is Coming to Town, but he was terrible. And Phil Spector was <laughs> like, get out of here. Take a hike, buddy. <laughs> Get out of here, Brian Wilson. Yeah, and then Brian Suck. Wilson Brian Wilson just drove himself crazy thinking how he could have been on A Christmas Gift for You for the rest of his life, probably. <laughs> uh, I look forward to the Mammoth 8 CD box set of this. The right. sessions of this include some really terrible piano playing for Brian Wilson. Santa Claus is coming. And here, finally, to give his thoughts on this noted uh, holiday classic is noted holiday music curmudgeon Charlie Beck. Hey, uh, I know me. you're. I know you're not huge into Christmas music, mostly because you feel that the same fifteen songs are really all that make up the canon, and we share the annoyance at the Christmas holiday, uh, beginning on like the twenty second of October now every year. Uh huh. It doesn't un- even wait till after Halloween anymore. It doesn't, and unfortunately, this album has about four of those quote classics being played for two months straight. So I don't yeah. know if you're annoyed with a Christmas gift for you or what, but the album does sound great. And so I'll be interested to see whether you can separate your feelings from the truth, Chaz, which is a, a going, <laughs> wow. it's a, wow, it's Jake. a going political concern to separate our feelings from the truth. I, I think that you'll give it a 1.5 out of five, all told. Uh, so take it away. Uh, you're the Grinch before your heart increases three sizes. Go for it. <laughs> hey, so my first thought on this, honestly, was who wouldn't like this? Like it just played on it as wet. Like who would who would listen to this and go like, eh, that's not for me. I don't like that. It just feels like a really difficult thing to truly dislike. I was uh, impressed by the big sound, you know, that famous wall of sound. Yeah. Um, feels like it's being played by a cast of thousands. You know, you got the drums and bass, guitar, saxophone, strings, sleigh bells, trumpet, piano, bells. That's just what I could pick out. There's probably more in there. I couldn't tell for sure. Uh, I particularly liked the drum sound. Okay. It's just like, there's a lot of those drum bells in there, but they're just great. Yeah. And that's, I know that's part of the, um, the wall of sound. It's just, there's so much going on, but it doesn't feel like, it's not, it's not cacophonous. It's not like a, you don't, you lose, it's all like working together really nicely. It's, yeah. it's a huge sound, but you're not losing the vocals. You're not losing, everything is still like there somehow. And that's, I know, one of the impressive things about very Phil Spector so. yeah, General is how he pulled that off. You're explaining it very well, by the way. Oh, thanks. Hey, no problem. Um, it's also, it's clear that this is, in spite of the different singers, it's it's his album. It's a very consistent sound. Yeah. It's different vocalists, but it doesn't sound like a compilation. <clears throat> it's it's one big thing. It all fits together really nicely. I mentioned it reminded me a lot of Pet Sounds. That was the thing that I just really got to, and I know that Brian Wilson was doing that. Um. I did recognize some of the songs. I'm trying to think which ones were. I didn't write down, apparently, which ones. Uh, Mommy, Kissing, Mommy Kissing Santa Claus was one yeah. that I definitely heard. If I'd only heard that version on the radio. There were a couple others that I know I've heard those recordings on the radio. But it just flowed together. It was nice. And I kind of went, you know what? 
my family loves Christmas music, which is, you know, of course, they mostly they listen to it like while I'm at work until I, you know, until after Thanksgiving. And but you like uh, this and year, you like you like unsettling uh, ambient and experimental music sometimes. So it's kind of a trade. You know, I do. It's it, well, it's just what families are all about. You know. I know. It's, it's, it's the sharing season. It's, it's the sharing. <laughs> Part of my hatred for Christmas music came out because of my uh, college roommate, Brett oh, Dewey. Oh, right, Shout Brett. Out to Brett Dewey. We've talked about Brett. Who, uh, yeah, Brett. But when we came back from Thanksgiving break, he would listen exclusively to Christmas music mm. all the time. Oof. There was kind of a rule in our apartment that, you know, if you got whoever was there, whoever put on music, like they had control of the music until... They had to go to class or whatever it was. Sure. You know? Yeah. So we'd start like racing home, you know, racing back. If we're in a class ending at the same time, we'd be racing back to the apartment to uh, to get music on first because he just would. It would be nothing but Christmas music. Charlie just packs his Brett bag with, a, with, Brian Eno, with Brian Eno with Brian Eno CDs. It's like I'm gonna get him this time, baby. <laughs> Brett was a, a music major, but listened exclusively, as far as I can tell, from living with him for three of my years in college. Wow. He listened to nothing but the Beatles and Christmas music. As okay. As far as I can tell. Oh, well, that's all you that's really. It. That's all you really that's need. That's it. <laughs> that's all you need. It's fine. Anyway, I do. It's just it's that. Yeah. Repetition. Yep. Repetition. It's the repetition, probably more than anything. But okay. It's that. Yeah, that's the biggest part. All but right. this one I really enjoyed. I really liked the sound of it. I really liked, and I was able to feel like I got a little bit more into that Christmas spirit, which is another thing that okay. bothered me. Okay. Nice. That's that's a bigger discussion for another time. <laughs> Yes. Uh, but I, I really oppressed was the sound with the consistency, and it just was, yeah, it got me going. It made me think, like, hey, here's a Christmas album that I think our, my family should actually own. Am I okay. biased? Yeah. So, Jake, you guessed a 1.5. Yeah, what do you got? I gave it a 2. Whoa! A 2! Bring in the noise. Ladies and gentlemen, quick reminder that we work on a negative 5 to 5 point scale that's so right two is pretty solid oh that's pretty good big. that's up there oh wow big, okay yeah. good well yeah, I, I, liked, I, about right. I liked it i thought about I listened to it again uh this morning while doing dishes i thought about lowering time. my score as i was talking about how, what a what a grinch you are but then i, I have like, a grinch I stuck to my gun so no nope. feel good yep. about it feel yeah. good about it my heart grew three sizes instead of two i think i think so i think you're yeah. up to three it exploded out of that little box that they draw around it on the Grinch mm-hmm. that stole Christmas, mm-hmm. and you're just you're sledding down that hill with all the presents, and you're gonna I give them. Am, you're gonna give them back to the uh, Who's or whatever. I'm carving the roast beast right now. That's what you're doing in my heart. <laughs> oh, Chaz! Merry oh. Christmas! I wish I had a sleigh hey, bell. Merry Christmas or something. to you. Yeah. Okay. Well, how about um, I'll, a month early? I'll t- <laughs> <laughs> I know it does not feel like Christmas to me, but that's okay. It will. It will. Um, so I'm going to talk about this album by talking about the famed Wall of Sound production technique that hey, go. started, uh, which, as you mentioned, is as much of a star of this album as any of the performers on it. Oh, yeah. Um, although Darlene Love uh, was a deserving star at the time, um, but, yeah. you know, mostly because Phil Spector helped to make her one. She fit right in real nice with this Wall of Sound thing. Um, yeah, so but the, it's not the same, just, you know, she's got, it she's got a good just be, pipes too, Jake. No, 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 yeah. it just wasn't because of him. I just mean okay. that he, you know, she was part of his star-making machine at the time. Yeah, yeah, at the sure, time. She's sure. a deserving star. She has a great voice. There you go. Okay, all right, I'm I can gonna. let this pass now. Okay, thanks. <laughs> uh, the Wall of Sound, or the, quote, Spectre Sound, as it was known at the time, exploits the possibilities of the studio to create a dense orchestral aesthetic. Parsley Bart using a bunch of microphones. I mentioned at the concert of Bangladesh, they recorded using 44 different microphones for a live show, which is crazy. 
Um, but it's, it's almost as many as we use for our podcast. I know they're just. I don't know if you can see. The audience can't see, but there's microphones dangling around my head. Oh yeah, they're everywhere. We want that, you know, infinite oral sound. Uh, like we need a binaural sound going on. Not binaural. I want more. Trinaural at least. Quadural? I don't know. Let's could we go? Going. Could we go quintoral? Quint- let's quintoral. Go, let's go higher. Quintoral. <laughs> <laughs> We're in the 17th dimension right now, and it's great. <laughs> the weather's fine. It's entirely full of microphones. Oh wow. <laughs> Um, the Spectre sound also uh, was achieved by doubling and tripling parts like electric and acoustic guitar or different pianos that creates a fuller and richer tone. So, for instance, it would be like a normal piano playing a melodic line, and then it would be a harpsichord playing a melodic line, and then it would be an electric piano playing the same melodic line, and you mix those together, and so you don't necessarily hear all three of those things, but what you hear is that melodic line just like big and full and like cavernous. Mm-hmm. Um, he also used actual orchestral instruments in pop music, which wasn't being done as much at the time. Um, he utilized reverb and echo chambers to increase the audio power, making it loud without distortion. Um, Spectre himself said it was a, quote, Wagnerian approach to rock and roll. Little symphony, yeah, little symphonies for the kids. Oh, uh, sure. we, all, we all know Richard, bring, Richard Wagner. I'm sure we'll cover let's him. Let's bring Wagner in there, sure. Let's just put him on the podcast. He's a friend of the podcast. <laughs> um, the technique was wildly successful and played into a pile of top ten hits for Spectre and others. It was very imitated, but he really was, like, he came up with that all by himself. Um, and that's what you hear on this Christmas album. It's pretty much during the heyday of Spectre's early su- success. Um, combined with the mostly secular nature of the songs, you'll notice that there's not a lot of actual Christmas songs on here. They're more like holiday songs. Mm-hmm. A Christmas Gift for You created basically its own genre of holiday music, much like Sinatra's 40, 40s Christmas stuff seems kind of like a genre. You hear that, yeah. and you yeah. just know, like, okay, well, here we go. Um, you're, you're going to hear not only these specific songs ad nauseum, starting before Halloween, but you're going to hear this, quote, sound the horns and the strings and the reverb and everything described above. So let's chat about some of the important musicians on this collection, because of course it is a compilation, which sometimes. I'm thinking, sorry, I, I want to come back to what yeah, you're just saying. Go ahead. Different, like, Cause, yeah, I'm totally. I'm thinking this through. Like, I can think of like a solid three main styles. I think of Christmas music. And mm-hmm. It is. It's the Frank Sinatra. Yeah. It's the Phil Spector here, and then it's like Mariah Carey is like the Correct. third one, I'd say. You got the, you got the later pop. And that's interesting on. that, yeah, that you're just like these eras that kind of define what the Christmas sound is now, and then a whole bunch right. of people came the ride. That's, that's interesting, Jake. Thanks, and when you, thanks for, that, thanks for that, that thought. Hey, no problem. I think that's original thought. I didn't pull that off of Wikipedia, I don't know. Well, I brought Mariah Carey into it, so when people <laughs> write theses, the musical theses on this podcast... <laughs> Let's make sure I get a little bit of credit here, too. Okay? Uh, friend friend of the podcast, Mariah Carey, by the way. <laughs> we know you're listening, Mariah. We don't. <laughs> Mariah, you got us on loop, I know. Uh, let's chat about some of the important musicians, because this is a compilation, which sometimes get lost in the narrative, given Spectre's right. outsized influence. He didn't do, he didn't play any of the instruments, I don't think. Um, uh, he produced it. Um, let's start with what was at the time and would continue to be Spectre's studio band of choice the so-called, quote, Wrecking Crew, um, which were a crack gang of studio musicians who played for Spectre and for many other pop music producers at the time. They are, for instance, the musicians you hear on the Beach Boys' Pet Sounds, which we covered. Yeah, yeah. I'm glad I rectified that for the record. And like a million other profound and popular recordings. 
Um, so they were hanging around sounding great, and then there were the actual groups and solo artists who gave the performances. Um, imagine giving them some time on this podcast about an album that they made. We could stop talking about Phil Spector for five seconds. It'd be great. <laughs> uh, we got More than five seconds would be great. All right, okay. Here we go. Let's time myself. Uh, we got solo star Darlene Love, who was a favorite of Spector's and who features on some of the most famous songs, including Winter Wonderland and Christmas, Baby, Please Come Home. Mm-hmm. We have The Crystals, who had a number one pop hit the year previous with He's a Rebel, and they handle the other truly enduring performance of Santa Claus is Coming to Town which became an institution all its own during the holidays. And influ- yeah, that one I definitely heard. Oh, yeah. And it influenced similarly famous versions, including um, Bruce Springsteen, who we covered on this podcast a few episodes back. Sure, Brucey. Brucey. Yep. Ah, Santa Claus is coming to town. So festive. Yep. Um, next up are the Ronettes, who had the number two hit with Be My Baby, which I think ended up being more enduring than He's a Rebel. I can't think of He's a Rebel in my head right now. Yeah, I can't. But Be My Baby is like the... right there at the tip of my yep. tongue, for sure. Yep. agreed. Um, and similarly, their contribution of Sleigh Ride is the version that you're going to hear every year. That's the one of Sleigh Ride. Uh, and it even charted that song in 2018 at number 26 during one of the many reissues of the album. <laughs> and then last and, last and unfortunately least, bringing up the old caboose is Bob B. Socks in the Blue Jeans. Oh. <laughs> oh. oh. There's like seven Stone Cold holiday classics on this album, and our buddy Bob doesn't own a single one. (laughs) I'm sure it's not his fault, despite having an absolute knockout of a band name. Bob B. Socks and the Blue Jeans. Yes. Yes, please. That took them like six months to figure out that name right there. They worked worked a lot on that one. And Socks has two X's, of course. So it's like Socks. 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 Uh, but the tables have turned on him as a male singer here. Usually in the uh, regrettably misogynistic world of rock music, the females are the backups, the side pieces, the afterthoughts. But in this case, Bob B. gets shunted to the side, even though his version of Here Comes Santa Claus sounds pretty great. Yeah. Uh, nevertheless, let's just pour one out for the legacy of Bob B. Socks and the Blue Jeans. Um, he's on the greatest Christmas album of all time, but he's not really on it. Nobody knows his songs. Um, but overall, though, I just want to say a big congrats to everyone on this album who aren't named Phil Spector and who also aren't murderers. Yay! Yay! Coincidentally, are all of the same people. <laughs> that's all of them. That's a <laughs> Venn diagram that's just one circle. That's everybody. Right. Uh, except for Phil Spector. People uh, who are not Phil Spector, people who are not murderers. Yeah, as far as, as, far as, we, as far as we know. As far as we know. Yeah, who know, you know? Um, listening to this, uh, this album, I was shocked at the number of tracks I knew extremely well. And obviously not just because they're all standards, but how many of these versions became the standards. And I didn't know when I chose this as my Christmas album um, that I was literally choosing what many consider the greatest holiday album of all time. I didn't. Yeah, I, I had no clue about that. No. I heard of it, but I didn't. I didn't Me know too. It. It's like it's like one of those it's albums that kind of remains like a fun secret, but is also just it's just the best one ever somehow. Yeah. I don't know. Um, so because it's famous and has so many enduring holiday hits, this collection makes me very nostalgic, as Christmas music tends to do. I remember hearing Sleigh Ride by the Ronettes or Santa Claus is Coming to Town by the Crystals, and many of the rest, at least the ones sung by the female vocalists. And I have great memories of these. It's very upbeat and happy and lends even the songs with ostensible gravitas a playfulness, such as The Bells of St. Mary's or the ridiculous finale, Silent Night, 
world, a reedy specter himself wishes yeah. you this. He wishes you well this holiday season. He's like, that was a clear low hey, point of the album. I'm Phil Spector, and I just want to wish you all a holiday treat. <laughs> he sounds really weird because I get he was really he does. weird. Yeah, he does. Yeah, so never mind about that. But um, normally, its sunniness contrasts with some of my other favorite holiday music, which is the extremely melancholy variety where you drink brown liquor and stare at the snow or the fireplace. So this is kind of the opposite of that. Uh This music is for the first flush of the party, for socializing, for not being concerned about the actual meaning of Christmas, for the presence and excitement of it all. There's almost nothing on here that doesn't swing or rock out in that cool rock and roll kind of way, like the early rock, uh, and nothing that isn't really big and bright. Even the reverb, which can be, as a production tool, used for darkness and kind of a cloistered sensibility, serves to open the sound up hugely and lend a real openness to the whole sound. Mm. Some might call mm-hmm. it a wall of sound. I no? wouldn't, but okay. you know, some Yeah, might. I know. I mean, I, I call it the specter sound. That's all I'll say about it. Uh, in short, it's a pop confection, which normally isn't my bag, mm. but pop mm-hmm. confections from the early 60s taste a heck of a lot better to me than more modern ones. And this is, in, this is inarguable as a holiday classic. I give this bad boy a 3.0 out of 5. Wow. Boom nice. house. Nice. Yeah. So we're going to keep this Christmas pretty going next sure week are. on Christmas Day when we recommend not listening to our podcast, but instead, instead <laughs> spending time with your family. You can you know? throw it on in the morning instead of like I, classical music. Maybe you music. can throw it on together and all listen to it as a family. Right. I think that's a good idea. You could gather yeah. around the radio as it crackles to life. Yeah, there you go. People do that now, right? Sure, sure. Get one of those records, all those things, but also make sure it has like a Bluetooth connector on it yeah. there, so you can like, pod, you know, send it through your phone. And whatever you, can you need put to one do. of those filters on it that makes it sound old. Go for it. But we'll be looking at. So we went. You know, this album is very much a, uh, a less is more. It's like thirty-five minutes long. Yeah. It's all killer, no filler. Oh yeah. Let's go with a more is more option next time. Let's more with, with more uh, filler, more filler, please. Well, I let's not go that far, Jake. Here, come <laughs> on. It's still lots of killer here, but there's more. It's it's big. It's a we're doing a full blown Christmas box set in the form of Sufjan Stevens' 2016 five EP box set Ooh. songs for Christmas. All right. And I'll be leading that party on Christmas Day. Boom. And we'll be back there then from Louder Than Sound. So long and Merry Christmas. Happy holidays, y'all.